Hi, welcome to Dyslexia Explored, this podcast. I'm Darius Nomderon, your host today for this episode on toys and dyslexia. Today we're going to do another one of our little book club podcasts where we take the dyslexic advantage. We're going to do chapter 8 and chapter 9 today because they're very short and talk about a topic they bring up in these chapters about three-dimensional thinking and dyslexia and toys. And so let's do that today. Thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. I shared, I've got a little handmade toy in my hand that I'm holding and remembering. Dyslexic 20-year-old and her boyfriend made for me. And it's made out of driftwood and bits of metal and things like that they found in the round the sea and made a beautiful replica of a mirror sailing dinghy with my the number of my mirror dinghy on it as well on the sails as a birthday present for me and that kind of hugely inventive and creative solution as a birthday present for me and piece of art really so today we're going to talk a little bit about how toys are so useful for three-dimensional thinkers to exercise their abilities and develop their abilities that can in the future become their whole careers. So there's an interesting part in this chapter where they talk about uh, a child who makes, I'll read it out to you, a quote, one amazing young child, page 72, with dyslexia, whom we saw in our clinic, built a connects structure so elaborate that it won second prize in a nationwide competition. Yet, when he brought it into school and asked his teacher if he could show it to the class, he was told, we don't have time for that. We have important work to do. And another was scolded for his teacher for doodling. If you spend all day drawing buildings on your papers, you'll never get anywhere. Ironically, this child's father was a successful architect who makes his living in just that way. So that's from chapter 8. I highly recommend this book. It's a really good book. This is basically my textbook, the textbook we use at Bullet Map Academy to teach ourselves and the coaches and the whole team how to understand dyslexia. It's one of these great books where it's not just about learning to read, it's about learning all about dyslexia, its challenges and advantages. Basically got, we're just coming to the end of the first quarter of the book today. It's hard going for many of you who are listening, I know, because it is an academic book in many ways as well. It's a very serious book that's got lots of great stories, but it's got a lot of text. And if you're dyslexic, and you haven't learned to read very well yet, then it can be really hard to go through this. So, there's four things that they cover in here. Mind strengths. M stands for material reasoning. I stands for interconnected reasoning. Okay. Then N for mind is narrative reasoning. And then finally, D stands for dynamic reasoning. So basically, um, three-dimensional thinking, connected thinking, story thinking, and dynamic thinking. 
I wouldn't just say thinking, but I would say imagination. So that's what I'm pulling out of the book today. And I want to just talk a bit about Isaac Newton and Einstein, because they reference Isaac Newton and Einstein in here. And it's interesting. You know, we all think about these children, these famous people and so on, but we forget that what were they like as a child? Here's an interesting quote about Einstein I was meaning to share with you. Page 72. Einstein, although known as a hugely famous and intellectual, clever mathematician, scientist, e equals mc squared, all the rest of it, relativity theory, tons of stuff he's invented and discovered. But Einstein, as a child, was a slow, uncooperative child with a nasty temper. Now, that's interesting, slow uncooperative and nasty temper and he's dyslexic and they can be you know some of the outer behaviors of someone who's struggling to wrestle with what the world expects of them with the skill set that they've got and then the second person they quote is newton was remembered as a simpleton and in english language you know simple or not very clever at all and his only ability was to make small wooden toys for his friends and sisters. Now, they then go on to talk about a particular scientist, Dr. Fred Epstein, who spent most of his time making model airplanes as a kid. And that was his thing he was good at. But what ended up happening was, although he was rejected about 12 times from 12 different medical universities, he ended up getting accepted and he ended up creating a number of inventions that solved lots of surgery problems for children. And so what you've got there is that ability to fit together these model airplanes, started to, to exercise that muscle, and he exercised it in the medical world and solved all these mechanical system processes within the surgery. And so you've got this very close relationship between, you know, doodling and architecture, between toys and designs later on and, and so on. And so what does this make me think of? Well, I think a lot of children find with dyslexia, find great solace, great self-expression when they make stuff especially if you've got a strong 3D mind. And later on, we're going to look at the other three aspects that can be a strength in dyslexia, you know, the interconnected reasoning, the storytelling, and the dynamic reasoning. So dynamic reasoning can help with sports. The, the narrative reasoning can help with storytelling and writing and so forth. And internet, interconnected can help with other things too. But here it's that 3D. So... What do we do as parents and teachers? Well, I think the lessons we can learn from all of that is take what they're playing at very seriously. Take play seriously. Now, people in kindergarten and early years, you know, take play very seriously in the early years, you know, zero to three, zero to five. But it's still a very serious topic for us with three-dimensional thinking and dyslexia up all the way through our lives you know often we're very playful people and we can play around with things i mean I'll, I'll give you an example right now i'm playing around 
with magnets and different sort of magnetic whiteboard stuff and strips and playing with them and developing a, a system, an organizing system to help my students, for example. Because often with dyslexia, you know, when we write things down, we don't often, we're, we're thinking about the concept, but we don't quite have the right positioning and it's floating around and we need to reposition things and reorganize things. And it's very three-dimensional. But the way we're taught in school is, you know, you write down your notes, you write down your ideas for a story and it's kind of stuck there. And it's quite an effort to move things around and rewrite things and re-edit and so on. And so it's really very helpful to start doing it in a visual way. For instance, I do it with mind mapping. Uh, my way of mind mapping is the bullet map way system that I, I use myself. I develop myself for dyslexia. And I need to see it visually. I need to organize it around. But take a whiteboard, for example. I have to write on a whiteboard and then I have to rub it out and move it. And then I have to rub that out and move it. And then I have to rub everything else out that's with it. And, and, and it can get really quite messy. And so if I could slide them all around on the whiteboard, then that would really help me organize my, my mind. So the more physical I can make something like Meccano, Lego, you know, even Minecraft or whatever it is, you know, I've got something practical, physical to work with and get some feedback on. It really helps. So I highly recommend, like we've said in the past, prototyping things. There's an episode where we talk just about the importance of turning an idea from an idea into a prototype. I won't reiterate that, but go look at that podcast episode. It's really helpful. So, child's playing with some stuff. And then secondly, what do you do as a parent or as an educator with all that elaborate work that's gone into something very elaborate? You might just be getting used to seeing huge amount of this creativity and chaos and so on and output coming out. What do you do with it? And instead of being like that teacher saying, no, we don't have time for that, when actually that child did something that was worthy of an award, I think it's worthwhile taking time to look and first of all, appreciate the effort that's gone into something, you know. So one of the best bits of advice I got given as a teacher was how to talk about a piece of art, how to give feedback on a piece of art. So I hope you don't mind. I'll share with you some tips from that. So the first thing is, don't say it's good, okay? Don't say you're very talented because those are the, the ten, ten things adults tend to say to kids. And what the reason why not to say it's good is because the good is a value judgment. I have just pronounced your good versus bad, okay? And the child then gets programmed, I just want to do what you regard as good, which is not good as an artist, it's not helpful. What you wanna be doing is looking at the uh, art and seeing what you like, okay? And so it makes it very clear that that's just your perspective of their art how you see what they've just done. So let's say they've done a drawing. Don't be scared about asking, um, 
can you tell me the story behind this drawing? What What's this drawing about? Can you tell me about it? Because sometimes you look at a drawing and you're like, oh my goodness, I don't recognize what this is all about. We do this in Doodle Club all the time. We have a little club for kids on YouTube and Zoom that's free where kids can come listen to a story and doodle. And I see this with mind maps as well, that the children doing maybe do a bullet map, a note map of something they've just learnt. They're all the same. And it's scrappy and you can't make sense of it. But the moment you ask the child, could you please explain what this map's about? They start pointing to different things and they start explaining the map. Suddenly, just a scribble turns into a very eloquent explanation that's beautiful. And so it's really helpful to ask the child, tell me about this. What, what's, what's the story in this? What, tell me about it. And so the child will proudly hold you, hold it up, start talking you through the picture and say, this is that. That's an elephant. That's a crocodile. That's this. That's that. And you go, oh, wow. Great. I like that. So you've said you've liked it. Secondly, you start pointing out things that you notice. You're like, oh, look at those jaggedy teeth. Is that the teeth of the crocodile? And the child's yes, okay? So there you've just recognized and appreciated something they did. You just, you, you've not just said, oh, that's good, that's amazing, that's the best. No, you've said, look at the care you've taken on those teeth. That must have taken you a while. And then you look at other bits and like, oh, I really like this color here. That, that reminds me of like a, real, a, a river. And they're like, yeah, it is a river. Ah, right. Okay. And then, and so you just start um, recognizing things in it. And so if it's a structure or a shape or something, a similar kind of principle, like, oh, look at the way you built that. Look at the way that sticks out. And how does this work? And how does that work? And it's this, instead of putting yourself into the position of a judge where you're doing good or bad, you're starting to come alongside as a appreciator of the skill. And you start realizing, gosh, yeah, that that's that took that must have taken you quite a bit of time or thought or figuring it out. And this is the kind of feedback that the child is hungering for, not just good or bad. When you give them the, that kind of appreciation of, of of seeing what they've done, you're kind of saying, I see you. I understand what you're doing. I, I appreciate where you're coming from. I, I see your skills, your gifts. And then that uh, gives them good feedback to, to keep going with it. So that would be my first tip. You know, don't say it's good. And the second tip comes from another book called Bounce. This book was fascinating and I should share this with you another time. So I'll just do this briefly just now. But if you give child a child praise by saying, you must be really good at this versus you must have tried really hard at this, They've done research on this, and if you tell a child, you must be really good at this continually, what happens is they actually get worse at it compared to, you must have tried really hard at this. And uh, it's, there's some scientific research done uh, down in England, and uh, it's fascinating how the two different kinds of praise changes the child's approach to the subject. So one, you praise their talent, and the other, you praise their effort. And I think praising effort works hands down because a child can increase their effort, but they can't increase their talent in their own minds. So what they do is they try to protect their talent. They try to 
keep in a safe zone so they can keep hearing, oh, you must be good at this. And so they actually don't progress as much as those people who are told, you must have tried really hard at this. You must have worked really hard at this. And it, those children progress better. So those are my two tips for giving feedback and uh, fueling that, uh, those abilities that are often only really recognized outside of school in their hobbies and talents and toys. So what do you guys think? Over to you. What's happening in Facebook? Great. Okay, so what kind of comments and questions have you guys got? So I'll give you some questions myself, okay? Number one, what child, what toys is your child drawn to? Okay, what does it tell about their underlying abilities? How do you acknowledge their efforts in this realm? Those are questions I've got. And then what kind of futures might be there for people who have got very strong strengths like that? Another final question actually could be, how do you use that ability in schoolwork? Now you see, I think I have a hunch if you've got a really visual way of taking notes like mind mapping, bullet mapping, like I teach, um, mind mapping is kind of like, you know, when you think of martial arts for the mind, you know, like mind mapping is like martial arts for the mind and you get different variations of the martial arts, you know, like Shotokan karate or you know, Kung Fu or Jiu Jitsu or whatever. They're all martial arts. And the same with that. You know, so when someone says mind maps, that's Tony Buzan's approach to teaching it. Someone says bullet map, that's my approach to teaching it. And with my variations for a different style of thinking. And then someone might say spider diagrams or bubble diagrams or concept diagrams. These are all different variations of the same sort of mind mapping, visual organizing. And a lot of people call them visual organizers, for example. So when you've got some sort of visual organizing system, what you'll find is a lot of this three-dimensional thinking can actually be brought into the way they do school. It's not left at the door of the classroom. It's not left outside in the home. You can bring that 3D thinking into the way you take notes. And you can take that interconnected reasoning into the way you connect all your notes and information, the way you explain your ideas and so forth. Uh, you, there are ways to bring all of these different abilities into the way you do schoolwork. But it's not the same way that schools teach you how to do it because schools are very much a linear learning method. You know, they think in straight lines, they think in clear processes, etc. And we need some of that in life, you know, clerical work and basic processes and things like that to make things work. But we also need the designers, the inventors of these processes. And so that's often these very children and your children and me who create these kind of processes. And so they often need different tools to do the same thing. And that normally, hands down, 
involves some sort of visual organizing, whether it's doing it with clay or paper or Meccano or Lego or whatever, and then or into a whiteboard or into a, a map of the order of things and the flow of things and, you know, or creating a proper bullet map systematically for a creative thinker. And this is an interesting topic here for bullet mapping is often the way most people do visual organizing or mind mapping or spider diagrams. It's taught historically over the last 30 years to increase people's creativity, to increase the ideas you have. But I've noticed a lot of people with dyslexia or ADHD really react negatively towards this. And I never understood why until I taught enough students and I figured out why. What I figured out was they don't need any more new ideas. They don't need any more creativity. They need creative focus. They don't need to be going out the way. They need to be pulled in the way. And this sort of bending the light of their ideas to a focus, like the, the, the lenses on a glass bend the light so it changes the focus of your eyes. With dyslexia, you know, the right kind of visual organizer is like something that bends the information that's coming into you and instead of it bouncing off the top of you and spraying out, it bends in and, and focuses your mind. And so a lot of children actually need to use a visual organizer in order to create focus, not as a brainstorming tool. And that's one of the reasons why I don't encourage people to go straight into a map when they're mapping out a brainstorm, for example. I get them to write a list of bullet points down the side and then map it, which is why our system's called a bullet map, because you've got bullet point list, identify the keywords, then move them into the right order on your map. And that's a, that doesn't sound like very much, but if you're a very creative person, if you're dyslexic or ADHD, that makes all the difference. Now, when it comes to taking notes, you still put the odd bullet point down the side when you like the reference to the book or the website or the person who's telling the giving the lecture and you, you do a regular map and you follow their order of thinking and you can follow a normal map technique straight away that way. But if it's your own mind and your own thoughts, I highly recommend you write down a bullet point list first and then organize it visually. So let's go see if there's any more questions. Okay. Tracy says, my child is musical, but has a great interest in the technical production side of things. We're now encouraging them to explore delivering projects through video instead of writing. Great topic today. Thank you, Tracy. I know that you've done a bit of this before. It's, um, yeah, that's a great way of doing it through video instead of writing. And what I would recommend, Tracy, is, you know, Perfectionism can really get in the way though, especially with video and so on. You want to make it perfect before you put up video, but it's really useful to think in terms of drafts or, you know, uh, a first draft, a uh, prototype, a concept, a pilot or something like that so that you don't get too hung up on all the detail and practical and technical side because some children can create something that's like 
15 seconds long and perfectly technically brilliant, but actually doesn't deliver the message that they were hoping to deliver and doesn't really communicate. So they need to really still concentrate on what message is communicated instead of writing. So watch out for that. And Amanda, thank you for enjoying this perspective. Thank you that it's helpful with your eight-year-old. Appreciate that. Okay, guys, so I think that's the end of today's coffee time. Thanks for being here. I will see you in the next episode, which will be tomorrow at five o'clock, same time, same place. I'm going to wrap up this podcast here and say thank you very much for listening to this podcast on Dyslexia Explored. I've been Darius Nomderon, your host, and this has been brought to you by Bullet Map Academy. And if you want to know more about Bullet Map Academy and what we do for children with three-dimensional thinking, go to bulletmapacademy.com forward slash workshop. We're doing a workshop next week that you might like coming to. So welcome to that. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me. Do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me. And if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.